thinking about the meaning of life and the things that are important in life. Let's go over our Bible memory verses. If we can turn to Titus chapter 2. For those who haven't been here before, we're just trying to learn verses 11 to 15. And tonight I'm going to go through the whole thing and we'll see if we can say most of that together. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And if you would, let's stand as we do that. Universal provision there, universal holiness there, universal hope, and a universal gift. Now tonight I like a children's meeting, so if the front row would dismiss themselves for a little bit. Some of the children said that uh, they'd like to have a children's meeting again, so if they'd like that, we're going to give them one. How about it? Let's sing while they come up here, building up the temple. Building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Say, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the one you'd like us to sing? Yes. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How many of you have seen a live snake? How many of your mothers say, do not touch live snakes? How many of your daddies have killed a snake? How many of you remember that in the Bible it talks about Satan as being like a snake? And how that one time Moses put a snake up on a pole 
and the people looked at it, and they were spared. Overall, though, we don't like snakes. In New York, we have quite a few snakes, about 17 different kinds. Three are poisonous to humans, and a poisonous snake bite can kill you. And so we're careful about that. One day I was coming home from work and a lady was stopped at her car. It was on the road. She didn't even pull off and she was at the passenger side door. Passenger side door was open and I stopped and went to her and she said, there's a snake in my car. I asked, where is the snake? She says, I don't know where it is now, but it was on the floor. I think it climbed up underneath there where the heater comes out. So I got my flashlight out and I laid in underneath there and looked, but it was pretty close. I just didn't know if I wanted to get too far under there, but I looked and I could not find that snake. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't find the snake. She said, well, I am not driving this car home. And I said, well, where do you live? She said, oh, about five miles or so down the road. I did not know the lady. I said, you drive my car, and I'll drive your car. And that gave me a little time to think. So as we were driving down the road, I'm looking over there once in a while to see that the snake isn't still on the floor or somewhere close by. But I got thinking, when we get to her house, certainly if I leave the doors open, that snake isn't going to have any food in that car wouldn't it crawl out overnight? What do you think? Think that was a good idea? You know, I, I, don't, I still don't know if that was a good idea because can snakes go a little while without food? Well, anyway, I got, that was the best idea I had. So when we got there, I stopped and I told her, I said, ma'am, I think we'll just leave your car doors open. And in the morning when you come out, you can shut them. And uh, I feel pretty certain that that snake's not wanting to stay in there. But then her husband came out, and I talked to him about it. He wasn't so sure about my idea, but I left it to them, and I went home. Three weeks later, I walked back, or stopped back there at their house, and asked them if they ever found out if the snake got out of the car. And they says, you know, after you left, we got this idea that we're going to get some flour. And we're going to put some flour on the floorboard right there, right at the edge of the door is, on both sides of the car. We're going to put some flour there. And that way, if the snake slithers out, it'll leave a track in the flour. Now, that's smart. That's ingenious. Okay? But the problem was the next morning, there was no tracks in the flour. Now, it could be it got out in the hour before they thought of that when I left, and when they thought of that, I don't know that. But they eventually drove the car again, and the snake never showed his face. But do you think your mommy would have driven the car if she knew the snake was in there? No. So tonight, you listen in the sermon to see if we ever talk about the snake again, okay? You may go back to your parents. I invite your attention tonight to another text in Luke. This time it's in chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And no, it's not about snakes there in that text, but we're going to liken something to a snake tonight. 
In Luke chapter 18, we have two men, and we have them struggling with their sin, or at least in their understanding of God. And maybe we've been there already, where we struggle with our understanding of God, and we failed to have the fear of God, as we should. And so we've not dealt with things in our life because, well, God's a loving God, so we don't need to take things too seriously. If I have a diagram here tonight, I'm going to say a line on your paper, if you had a piece of paper. And on the one side, I'm going to put the love of God at the end of that line. At the other end of the line, I'm going to put the justice of God. Do you agree that God is a God of love? Do you agree that God is a just God? How do those two go together? Well, in the center of that line, picture a cross. Picture Jesus' cross there in the center of that line and realize that the love of God was extended to us through what Jesus did at the cross. Right? You got the picture? Can you mentally get that? God's love is shown. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's evidence that God is a God of love. It's at the cross where we fully see the love of God. But also it's through the cross that we see the justice of God. That there was a price for sin. That sin needed to be dealt with. And it was dealt with at the cross. So in my mind now, I'm picturing this line. I'm picturing people that are on the extremes where they're saying, God is a God of love, so he's my buddy. You know, I don't really have to be serious about my sin. And I see other people on the other side of the line, the justice of God, and they're thinking, well, God's just up there with a big stick ready to strike me. And they have a, a warped view of God. But we come here to the cross, and we see that both of those have been put together as a picture for us at Jesus' death. And so the love of God and the justice of God is something that are not diametrically opposed. They are instead, they are characteristics of God that point us to his, his love, but his also anger and wrath at sin. Let's read Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9. Jesus speaking here. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Now, the other night we had the word publican, a tax collector. One that was hated by the Jewish people. The Pharisee, though, was a religious leader. He stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Now, there's dangerous territory when we pray to point our fingers at somebody else. We should be pointing at ourselves. Why was he even looking at the publican when he prayed, it was because he was putting himself up as someone who was righteous. Then he says, I fast twice in the week. 
I give tithes to all that I possess. The Jewish people, Monday and Thursdays, there was a fast day. And they were looking at deeds that were to bring them in right relationship with God. Again, it was a religion instead of a relationship. They didn't have that relationship, that close relationship with God. Now, the publican, it says, the publican standing afar off. Now, remember the other night I said that the publican was not allowed to be in the synagogue, so he wasn't allowed to be in the temple either. So he needed to be in the outer courts. He could not come into the closest place that the Jewish people were allowed to come into. He needed to be in an outer court somewhere, and he could pray to God. In sight of the Pharisee, so the Pharisee knew he was out there, but he was one of lesser importance in the Pharisee's eye. Now, that's not how God views us, brothers and sisters. God views us all on equal ground. Amen? You better believe it tonight. We're all on equal ground. We all have had, had to come to the foot of the cross as sinners in need of a Savior. None of us can say that we've been good and we've saved ourselves. We've all come and needed Jesus. But here this publican, this man who's despised by people because of his tax collecting, he may have been rich, but he recognizes that he is not in right standing with God and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what happens when we say that we are a sinner? What happens when we admit that we've done something wrong? My father used to spank me. And I well remember him going to get the willow branch and I running and hiding underneath the bed. That was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> but when he came in with the willow branch and he called my name, I realized it was time to come out. And it was time to face the music. When I said, Dad, I was wrong, I still got spanked, but I knew that I was guilty and deserved. This man knew he deserved any punishment for his sin. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down with his sin dealt with. This man went down with it off his back. How many times have you known people who never have a smile. There's always a weight on them. And you wonder, what's going on inside? Or maybe there's times when you realize you're not smiling anymore. And people are saying, what's been bothering you? And all of a sudden you say, there has been something bothering me. I'm carrying a load I don't need to carry. I need to get it off myself. Well, this man went down justified. The man who said, I am not as other men, I am not an extortioner, an unjust adulterer, or as this publican, I fast twice in the week. It says he was not justified. 
The Bible says, For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Turn with me to James chapter 5. For a verse that has been the impetus of this message tonight, James chapter 5, verse 16. The title of the message is The Power of Confession. And in verse 16, it says simply, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Oh, but you might say, aren't we to confess our faults to God? Well, yes, we are. David was a great sinner. He confessed his faults to God. Paul was a great sinner. He confessed his faults to God. Peter denied Christ. He confessed his faults to God. Yes, we need to confess our faults to God. But this says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, tonight, let me ask you a question. Have you ever fallen into sin, confessed to God, and then it was easier to fall into sin again, and you confessed to God, and then you fell into sin again, and you confessed it to God, and then you fell in again? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think we all know what we're talking about. Satan got a foothold in our life, and we've developed a pattern of confessing to God and of repenting, but then we don't have the power to live. Or have you ever fallen into a sin, and you did it one time? That's it in your life. You did it one time. And you confessed to God... And you felt his forgiveness, but you still wondered, is anybody ever going to find out that I did that? And you carried a weight in your soul about that. Is anybody going to ever find out about that? We had a neighbor boy. He was in a dysfunctional home. His parents fed him beer in a baby bottle. Can you imagine to keep the boy quiet? He one day stole paint from the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And it went a few years until he painted something on his property with that paint. Now, Pennsylvania Game Commission paint is specific for the Game Commission. It's a special color that you could recognize anywhere in the state as game commission paint. But he had waited enough time that he was, well, he needed this thing painted, and so he painted his shed green like the game commission. Well, they immediately caught him, right? Can you imagine carrying the weight of hiding what you've stolen and wondering if anyone will ever come into your garage and see that can or those cans of paint or come in there and, and find you out and report to you. 
There's a weight that's on us when we are hiding something. God didn't make us to keep secrets very long. Oh, it's fun to keep birthday party secrets and secrets from people for a little time so we can surprise them. But it's not fun to have something hidden there that nobody knows about. This verse has become special to me as I think about people who have committed a sin, never told anyone, and when they've come and just said, Dale, I did this. I never told anybody about it, but I just feel like I need to get it off my chest. Young lady came, called on the phone line, and she said, Dale, I have something to tell you. I've never told anybody. I had an abortion when I was 16. She's 24 now. That day, we prayed together, and she found a release and a peace and a joy. That had weighed on her. And in her prayer, she prayed, God, when I'm married and have children, I just pray that I'd be able to love this child and, and somehow just show you that I really care about your creation. Her prayer was beautiful. I don't know how much release she had on that because I didn't talk to her again. But we had a situation in our church where somebody was found out with something. It was a, it was a child in a home was found out doing some things they weren't supposed to be doing. And through that whole process, there were two people in our church that came to us ministry and said, you know, I did something when I was young too. And I've repented of it. And I've made it right with the people that I did it to or with. But the one guy came into our minister's room and he was just shaking and he, he was just fearful because he said, I, I just want to make sure that I'm right with God and the church about that situation. We worked through that with him and said, you have repented of that. You have forsaken that. You've made it right with the person. Live in peace. That's been years ago. That's at least 10 years ago. The release that came was powerful. The power of confession is the title tonight. And so we don't understand all of our makeup, but we understand that there needs to be making things right with God and if we've done a sin and we've made it right with God, we don't necessarily need to tell anyone else. Even if we have repeatedly done a sin and we have confessed it, repented of it, and grown in our spiritual life, we don't necessarily have to tell someone else. But if it's coming back to us as a weight, there's an invitation here to go to someone and confess our faults to that person and have them pray with us that you can be, what's it say? What's it say? Healed. That you can be healed. That you can lay that thing down and you can move to the next level in your spiritual life. Now tonight, in this message, I'm not wanting you to go back and dig up stuff that you're at peace about. That's not what the message is about. If you're at peace with it, praise God, leave it lay there. It's under the blood. 
But if there's something that keeps coming back into your mind, and it's a hidden thing that you think about on occasion, and you realize that you need to talk to somebody about it, may only need to be one person. Sit and talk with somebody about it. You're not in that sin right now. You just did that, and it's something that Satan is keeping you bound with. I'm convinced that Satan doesn't just want us to sin so that we feel, oh, we can't be a Christian, so we feel unsaved, but we repent, and we know we're still saved because we repent of it. But Satan wants to still keep us in that superstructure of guilt about that sin. Do you follow me? We're not necessarily feeling like we're unforgiven. We are forgiven. We, un we understand God's forgiveness. He said, if you confess your sins, you're, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he says. And so we have dealt with that, but we still walk our life and we're all of a sudden feeling like, you know, back there I did that. Back there I did that. And I really, I don't know, I just keep thinking about that. I did that. If that's the case, the invitation is to confess our faults one to another that we might be healed from that and freed from that. Isn't that beautiful how God designed a plan that we could follow? How he invites us to come to him to find freedom, but he also shows us that we need each other. The nature of sin is to hide itself. Why do people live the nightlife? Because they want to hide their sin. Why do people like Adam and Eve hide themselves from the presence of the Lord? Our sins, our hidden sins, impact our relationships, not just with God, but our relationships with other people. When we're not at peace with ourselves, it affects our relationship with other people. But we can find peace ourselves. There's joy flowing out of us. And people can, can sense there's a relationship with God. There's no blockage there in our relationship with God. And then it allows us to minister to them and they, they feel freedom to relate to us. This Pharisee, we're speaking about here in Luke. He was a man who didn't think he had any faults. He was deceiving himself, wasn't he? He had more than he knew. He wasn't even open to the idea that his relationship with God wasn't there. He was looking at just his actions. Well, I wonder what his relationship was with his family with his children. Wonder what his relationship was with his other Pharisees. If he would have confessed, if he would have humbled himself and confessed, he would have had the opportunity to view himself as God viewed him. Yes, a sinner, but a forgiven one. Here he's hiding. He's hiding something. He just had to make himself feel good by continuing to say all these things that he was good at. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not 
prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When a child has lied to you as a parent, can you tell that they've lied to you? They don't eat quite the same at the meal, do they? They're not quite as happy playing with their toys, are they? And so you as a parent know something's not right. When they come to you and say, Mommy, Daddy, I told you a lie. And you listen to them, you forgive them, you pray with them, they're soon back at their toys playing nicely again. There's a freedom. It's there. Secret sins weigh us down. They tell me that the police force goes on Facebook to find criminals. They tell me that they have police searching suspected criminals' Facebook pages because it's often that they leave something in their Facebook page that reveals they were connected to a crime. In other words, they couldn't hold it in. Over time, they've had to say something that gives away that they were involved in a crime. Not every time. I'm just saying the police are looking at that. People are not meant to hide or to have secrets. There's a weight that consumes their mental and their physical energy. Isn't it true that bacteria grows best in the dark? But when you bring it out into the light and it's exposed to the sunlight, that it loses its power. And the situation I was telling you about at church with those people coming and saying they had done something, now it's out in the open. And there was forgiveness granted, assurance that God had forgiven them and the other person had forgiven them. And now that sin had lost its power. And they could live. They weren't in that superstructure of guilt that Satan wanted to keep them in. In that way, confession is beautiful. Yes, it's ugly when people come out with dirt. It's no fun to work through that. But we all are sinners saved by grace. We all need to be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We all need the help of someone else to figure out how did we get where we were? If we're in the place where we continue to fall over and over and over in the same thing, we need somebody to figure out with us how we got here and why we're being bound to this and then to help us get out of it. Because I can't see myself very well. I can't. And so they can say, look, Dale, back here, this is what you started to do and this has led you down a road, and you've continued a slippery slope, and here's how you get out of this and back onto solid ground. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We desperately need the brotherhood. 
We definitely live in a culture that is rejecting uh, organized church. Realizing they, there's been a lot of flaws in organized church. And so they're saying there's too many hypocrites in the church and they're not going to link up with it. They're going to live life themselves. But it doesn't work. God meant us to be a body of believers to help each other, to pray for each other, to hold each other accountable. We're not meant to be an island all of ourselves. This Pharisee had his friends, but they didn't really know him. They didn't really know him as a sinner. They didn't really know him as a person who could express his heart. The publican was a man who you could have walked up to and you could have gotten to know because he had a spirit of openness about who he was. There's times when there's sin that we need to make public confessions before everyone, and there's power in that because there's something healing about hearing people say you're forgiven. We can accept the forgiveness of God in a better way when we hear people say they have forgiven us. It's just the way we're designed. And then we can get the support. If there's anyone that should have made a public confession, it would have been someone like Samson. Do you remember him? And his immorality with at least three people there in Judges, where he should have had accountability, and he wasn't open to that. And he continued on a downward spiral. And he lost his eyes, and he lost his life then because he'd been in jail he did come back to God but there was sin that had impacted his life we need the support of others and the power of confession allows people to see inside of us and to help us out of that let's pray God, tonight, we all have things in our life that have been wrong and been corrected. I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that has something in their life that has not been corrected, that they be willing to get it out and get help, that they might be healed that they might be strengthened. And I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that does an amazing work of bringing healing to our brokenness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.